so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the digital public square. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Sarah Ekoff Zylstra, who's an editor of a new book from the Gospel Coalition entitled Social Sanity in an Insta World. Today, we talk about cultivating grace and discernment in our age of social media. Sarah is senior writer and the faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, and also the co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Before that, she wrote for Christianity Today, homeschooled her children, freelanced for a local daily paper, and taught at Trinity Christian College. She earned a BA in English and Communication from Dort University and a Master's in Journalism from Northwestern University. She lives with her husband and two sons in the suburbs of Chicago, where they're active members of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today here on the Digital Public Square. As we get started, I want to see if you could introduce yourself a little bit to listeners. Tell us a little bit about your journey into journalism and writing, and specifically some of the work you do at the Gospel Coalition. Yeah. Um, So I am an Iowa farm girl. I grew up um, in the cornfields of Iowa in a town that was really small, had like 700 people in it. I went to college at Dort University in the northwest corner of Iowa, where I did a double major in English and communication. And that's really where I started first started dawning on me that I would like to write and be a journalist. After I finished that, I married my husband and we moved to Chicago, which is not the not the market you want to try and get into when you're first starting to break into a journalism market. It's a little big. So he, we, but we did because he was going to school here. And there's two ways you can break into a market this big. Either you can go back down to a smaller market and work your way up, um, or you can go to graduate school, which is what I did. I went to Northwestern Middle School of Journalism at Northwestern and got a master's degree. Um, and from there I started, I did a bunch of we started having kids almost immediately after that. So I kind of cobbled together a career that worked well with also being a stay-at-home mom. So I, I taught for a little while at Trinity Christian College in Palos Heights. I did freelance work for a local uh, newspaper, a daily newspaper um, by me. I And the whole time I also was working at Christianity Today, which at the beginning they were a monthly, so I'd write for them once a month. 
But by the 13 years later, it was, I mean, you're, we're just going constantly because they had a big online presence by then. So, and then about, oh, five or six years ago, I came over to the Gospel Coalition and I have been writing stories of where God is at work in the world. So basically getting to do journalism on God and what the Holy Spirit is doing. Yeah, and I think that's one of the ways we were first introduced to one another is through some of the stories you were writing, especially kind of talking about technology and the public square and a lot of those type of issues, which is one of the reasons when you all released this new book, Social Sanity in an Insta World uh, from the Gospel Coalition, I was so excited about it. And you serve as the editor for the volume. And one of the things that I love about this volume um, is that you have kind of eight different perspectives. So it's not just you. You didn't write the whole book. You wrote a really helpful chapter that we'll talk a little bit about here on the podcast. But you have a, a number of women, I think eight different women, uh, that you come together to talk about the nature of social media, how it's shaping and forming us as people. So what it, to kind of start off a little bit on that, what is it about social media and our engagement with it that really prompted you all to write a volume like this? Yeah, that's so interesting. This was not on my radar at all. And then we I was literally sitting at a table with a bunch of these women at the Gospel Coalition's Women Conference in 2021. And Laura Whiffler, who um, runs Risen Motherhood, and she was sitting at the table, was she had been researching it, and she was telling me about, this is dangerous, and we don't realize how dangerous it is. She was watching young moms who were engaging with it. And the main problem she was seeing then was, that we're so influenced by social media, especially as women, and we're following other women, but she was seeing a lot of false teaching, right? And you can see that, especially in the feel-good, fuzzy women space of like, look at, she's wearing that cute, cute shirt, and she's got those cute kids, and she has Jesus in her bio, and she's funny, and so we give her more and more of our time, loads of time. And so she was just watching the the discipleship factor. And so she said, Sarah, you should write a book. And I said, no, you write the book. Um, And so uh, we passed around the book idea a little bit and then decided, boy, it would be a lot faster if we each took a chapter and wrote a book. And if you're writing on social media, the faster you can go, the more helpful it is because social media moves so fast. And so that's how we were able to get this turned around in a year. Yeah, one of the things that I do like about the book is that also not only because of the speed at which you can produce a volume like this, but also kind of hitting all these different areas and different topics. And that's one of the things I love is there's these various perspectives on these very important issues. And one of the things that I noticed throughout it is I was I was reading it and realizing, I know this is written for women, by women in many ways, but as a man, I was also really challenged by it. There were certain things that I was like, oh man, this kind of applies to all of us in some sense. But obviously you wrote it in many ways with women in mind. Um, young moms, especially uh, young mothers, young professionals who are kind of working and kind of utilizing social media all the time. So obviously social media is shaping and forming all of us in particular ways. But I want to see if you could speak to maybe are there particular things or particular patterns that you see with women specifically of one of the reasons you guys wanted to write a, a volume like this? Absolutely. And one reason we saw the need for this is because we all read the Tech Wise family and we all read Tony Ranke and Andy Crouch on these things, but it's different being a woman. And it's even, it was interesting when I was doing the research for the first chapter, the way that women use social media is so communal. Even they interact more, like they, they write more, they comment more on each other's posts. They engage more with like brands like Tide or, you know, Chick-fil-A or something. They're just more likely to reach out and comment on those things. The language they use is more supportive. It's also 
maybe fuzzier isn't the right word, but they use more like LOL or hmm or, you know, more emojis. They're just on there more and they're more relational where men tend to be a little bit more transactional. They're there for information or they're there to have an intellectual debate with somebody. They're not there to hug somebody really or to, you know, try and build a relationship as much as they already maybe network with someone or trade information with them. So it seemed to us like there's a unique space for women to think about this from a gospel center point of view. That's what we were trying to step into. And I think you really accomplished that throughout the volume because that's one of the things I noticed too, even in my wife and I's different interactions with social media. She tends to be more drawn towards Facebook and Instagram. Um, and maybe that's just her personality, her specific personality. I'm a little bit more tr- drawn towards Twitter, which at times feels like accessible, and I'm not really sure why I'm drawn to it as much as I am. But it, I, I like the simplicity of tweeting. I like kind of the information. I get a lot of my news from social media, which is not a good thing, especially uh, for listeners and the various conversations we've had on this very podcast. Um, so I'm confessing a little bit through that. <laughs> um, but I've noticed my wife is she's always sending me Instagram stories or sending me Instagram posts. But if you look at our kind of back and forth on Instagram, I rarely send her things. She's often sending me things. And I just kind of noticed some of these different patterns in our life, uh, which is one of the reasons, you know, I was excited to pick up the book. And then I'm also excited to recommend the book to her as well, because I think she could really benefit and gain from it, especially with the way you all organized it. I mean, these are kind of short, punchy, substantive chapters. You kind of end with some discussion questions and further reading And I think that's really helpful, especially as you kind of noted before we got on the podcast here, a busy moms or busy young professionals don't have a lot of time. We're already spending obscene amount of times on our phone. I mean, just go look at your screen time app and it'll tell you exactly how long you're spending on your phone, which is very disheartening on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. I don't know why that's when Apple decided to send it to us. (laughs) It's terrible. Um, I don't know if it was just to stick it to the Christians or what uh, (laughs) about how much we're spending uh, time on these devices. But one of the things that I love is your first chapter that you wrote. So you edited the volume, but you also, this first chapter you contributed is a little bit about the history of social media. I think some may be tempted to just kind of bypass that. I don't really like history, but I think you rightfully show, hey, knowing kind of where we've come from really helps us to know where we are and where we're also heading. And so I wanted to say if you could unpack that a little bit. What is it about these phases or shifts kind of in the evolution of social media that we may not be aware of, but are actually really shaping the way that we engage with it now. Oh, that's so good. I think the first thing to note is just how quickly this has all rumbled up. It just feels like it's been around forever. Like it's just always been a part of our life and how we can't even really imagine life without it. But my goodness, I mean, it's 2004 when Facebook was invented in 2006 when it was actually opened up to people. So it's not very old. The whole thing is maybe 15 years old. And so that's a really short amount of time to go through so many changes and to become so big and so ubiquitous to us. I think 90% of American women have an account somewhere. And among Christian women, we did a survey and most women are on Facebook mostly, and then some Twitter and some Instagram. But among the Christian TGC women, the Instagram numbers are massive. They match the Facebook numbers. So it's a lot of Christian women are are with your wife over there on Instagram. It feels like a kinder and softer place to be. But it, oh, I just, I feel like I'm going to just ramble through all this. I have so many things to say. The shifts that, that have been the most important are when you first got onto social media, there was no newsfeed and there was no like button. I can't emphasize enough how much that has changed our experience there. 
Um, you would go and look at somebody's stuff and then you would get back off again. But when those things pulled out around 2009, kind of around 2007 also was when the smartphones started coming out. It was like your mom took the bowl of chips from the counter in the kitchen and put them right next to you on the couch. And you didn't even have to move. They were constantly refilling there. You just can continue to eat constantly. Like that scrolls by and it refreshes for you and you can just be on there continually. And the amount of time we spent on those platforms shot way up. And as a result, they started making a lot more money and they hired lots of people who are psychologists and study dopamine hits in your brain and work to make even more money. So now you are, when you go on there, it's not so much an, a neutral app. You can use it for good or for bad, but it's not really a neutral app. It's an app that's trying to keep you to stay on as long as possible. And it's doing an awesome job at that. So I think we just need to be aware of that walking in of how much time and how much of our actual lives we, we lose to an app that's not a bad thing, but it's maybe not the best return on our investment for the amount of time we're putting into it what we're getting out of it is is minuscule in comparison. Yeah, one of the things that we've talked a lot about here on the podcast, and I've written about in my forthcoming book, uh, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, is talking about the way that technology is not neutral, but it's also not good or bad. And people say, well, that, that doesn't make sense. It is, is it either good or bad, or is it neutral? And it's kind of both and. I mean, it can be used in good ways, and it can be used in bad ways. But that doesn't mean that it's neutral in the sense that it's not shaping and forming us. And as you said, these platforms have particular purposes in mind, particular uses in mind. They're encouraging us to use them in very particular ways. And I think it kind of depends on what kind of side of, especially in evangelicalism, what kind of side you fall on. Sometimes we're all like all the bad and all we talk about is how bad these platforms are. Or on the other side, we're just like sheer optimist. And we just talk about all the good and the God-honoring uses of these things. And so I, the, one of the things I like about this volume is that you're kind of balancing that, saying, hey, there actually is a lot of good here, but there are also a lot of negatives that we need to be aware of. So I want to start with some of the promises, some of the good uses of social media. What are some of those kind of major promises of social media and technology, and specifically the ways that we might even be able to utilize these things for good? Yep. I think that's great. I think one of the best things about it is that it's marketplace of ideas in the most interesting way possible where you would maybe, you know, 150 years ago, go to an actual marketplace and talk to people and exchange ideas. Now this is sort of like the water cooler, the marketplace, especially in a time when we're, and of course this is a self, a self-fulfilling cycle here that we're more and more isolated because of our technology, but we're also more connected. And this is a way that you can just connect with a lot of people. I know women who can, you can find support groups there if your child has a rare disorder or if you're looking for somebody who's in your, like, is there a gospel-centered person whose child is facing this thing or who's works in this specific industry? Like you can find people you never would have been able to find before and you can find support there. I have watched the gospel itself and reformed theology creep across the whole globe because of technology and the internet. And, oh, I found a John Piper video. And um, that's how a lot of people are exposed to a lot of excellent ideas. They find good churches. They get connected to good groups. So I think there's been a lot, a really lot of good that comes out of social media. Yeah. Well, and kind of throughout your chapter, which is that first chapter kind of on the history of social media, I like how you kind of chronicle this. And I, I know as a journalist, you probably were already starting to make some of these connections, but I think you're uniquely qualified to answer this type of question. Did you notice any parallels between 
kind of the rise of social media and the changes taking place in social media and then also kind of the the changes taking place in like wider evangelicalism. And I noticed that it's kind of an interesting thing when I started to think about, you know, this is early 2000s all the way up till today. And we see these major shifts with social media. At the same time, we've seen really substantive shifts in kind of emphases and kind of uh, movements within our tribes, within kind of whether it's Reformed theology or kind of wider evangelicalism and Protestantism. I didn't know if you were picking up on any of those kind of connections along the way or parallels um, that maybe kind of inform and shape the way that maybe social media is shaping the church more than we think it is, or maybe the church is utilizing these platforms in ways that we didn't realize. That's a great question. I did not think about that as much as I thought about how much it was shaping the news media. I really see a, there is just a direct parallel between um, when we got the 24-hour news cycle and a news feed, which functions in the exact same way, which is basically to grab your attention as long as possible to sell you ads. Both of them had the exact same desire there, and they produce the same result, which is in us, overwhelm and anxiety, because we are not meant to have that much information thrown at us in that short amount of time. We can't care about all those things. It's treating us like we're God and can you know, legitimately work in all those situations when we are definitely not, we are very limited. So I thought that was interesting. I don't see, and when I'm thinking in terms of the local church, um, I think probably the social media presence is small when it's coming from the church, but large when it's coming from the individuals in the church. Does that make sense? Like a church online is like, maybe post something about vacation Bible school or, hey, the women's Bible study is starting back up. Most churches do not have a sophisticated presence. They're not really engaging with unbelievers online. There's not, I mean, I haven't yet seen somebody who's really figured out a way to do that really well. But I think individual church members are maybe on too much. Um, so where maybe the local church could beef up their presence a little bit, I think individual church members are very much being shaped by their online lives. Yeah. I know one of the things is kind of, I've studied a lot of these movements and a lot of these kind of technological developments and stuff. Something I've noticed is watching friends who kind of learn how to use social media really well in a specific season and go from, you know, 700 followers and the next year they're at 35,000 followers or something. And they've kind of learned how to build a platform and kind of wield that influence. And part of that often is done on outrage. Uh, the more outraged you are, the more attention and engagement you get. We've seen studies that confirm this, but even just being on social media, you can pretty much confirm this. You see this kind of outrage building these platforms and then that really takes off. But the problem is sustaining that. And so we've seen the rise and the complete and utter collapse of leaders across evangelicalism, across the church, um, who have f risen quickly and fallen just as quickly. And then some who continue to rise, but kind of continually have to kind of beef up the outrage. Um, I always say, once you start on outrage light, you kind of have to keep going on it in order to keep it up. Because this is what a lot of these platforms are built upon engagement. The more engagement, good or bad, the more people that see it, the more people that interact, and it's kind of that snowball effect in many ways. But as you all were kind of putting together this, what are some of the other pitfalls per se with social media? I know kind of that desire for influence and platform. I've seen that affect a lot of friends and even kind of having those temptations myself of wanting to say, you know, say just the right thing for my tribe or just word these things a particular way uh, because that can help me reach more people. And maybe there's some good intentions, but I think sin is uh, coming from a reform perspective. I also know the ubiquity of sin 
And I know that how it's shaping everything in many ways. Uh, So maybe what are some of the other pitfalls or dangers that you all kind of notice, especially maybe particularly for women uh, utilizing a lot of these social media technologies? I think one, probably the biggest thing that women don't recognize is how much influence they give to social media because it feels like a small amount of time. You just check really quick while you're waiting in line to pick up the kids from school or waiting for the water to boil for dinner, whatever you're making, you're just checking really quick. But those add up and that's a that's a shaping of your soul. And it, there's a couple dangers there. One is just like, you might be following the wrong people. And maybe you even recognize like, oh, I, I know this isn't the greatest person to follow, but she's kind of funny and I just follow her because she has a cute house and I want to see how she does that. But if you give three minutes of discipleship to this woman over and over and over again, you're not giving that time to Jesus, right? And And you're not thinking about the word and you're not even giving that time to your family. That's shaping your soul. So I think that's one major way that the influence that that has on us kind of in ways we're not thinking. I think it definitely affects the way that we think. And if you read Emily's chapter on the things that she was noticing and how she was thinking, I just vouch for that because I um, got off social media altogether a couple months ago and she is right. It like when you are not on social media, your thoughts are more complex. You can read longer passages. You can follow a thought through farther. You can grapple with more, um, boy, like complex uh, thoughts that you have where you have to hold different things in tension. You don't have to wrap things up in a neat bow. Um, I think it it affects the way that you experience. So if I'm here at my house, it can feel kind of boring and dull compared to what my Facebook feed looks like. But if I don't have a Facebook feed, then I'm engaged, much more engaged with my own people that I'm living with or home that I'm creating or neighborhood that I'm in. So I think that just the influence it has on your thoughts is huge. And as part of that, I would say the amount of time that it takes up, you don't even realize. When we did our survey, the most women reported the trouble thing they had the trouble with the most is that it takes so much time. And it does because not only does it take a couple hours a day for some people, but it also, there's a tail that you don't realize. So maybe I'm looking at Facebook for five minutes, but I'm thinking about it for 15 or 30. Like there is a huge tail for how much time and attention you're giving to it. Even while you might be putting dinner on the table or doing some laundry or whatever, your mind is still somewhere else. And that takes up a lot of time and energy that we're just not accounting for at all. Yeah. I think I had a friend a while back and I I can't remember exactly who said it, but they were talking about how a lot of times I think when we approach social media, we think, oh, it's, oh, do we, should we just delete all of our accounts or should we kind of utilize it? And how, how is it either or which we just have to pick type of thing. And one of the things that they rightfully mentioned was, you know, even just getting off social media doesn't mean you're not going to be formed and shaped by it still. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? Like you're not on social media. And they said, well, think about like my grandmother in a nursing home. She's never had a computer in the day in her life. She's never had social media. She's never utilized these things. But Facebook is still shaping her and discipling her. And I said, well, I don't, how does that work? And they said, you know, when she goes out to the community area, her friends are like, hey, did you see what was on Facebook? And so it's almost the culture in which we inhabit. I think we often kind of focus on technology as a specific device or a specific tool or a specific app. And all of that's true. But it really exists within kind of the technological culture in which we inhabit. It's the way that our culture has been formed and shaped. And so you really can't get away from it in some ways. It, it affects what you buy. It affects what's on the shelves at Target. I mean, it affects everything. You're right. Exactly right. 
And so kind of living within that kind of technological society or that culture of technology, I know one of the things you all do in the book is kind of focus on some habits, some wisdom and discernment, because it's not just a yes or no, here's the checklist of the five things you need to do, and this will change your social media life, then you can move on to something more important tomorrow. It's really more about cultivating wisdom, cultivating discernment when you approach a lot of these things. And I think it's difficult for us, a lot of us that utilize social media, and I applaud you for getting off social media. I, I wish I had that stamina and that strength. But at times, I feel like it's hard for us to slow down in a society that wants us to speed up and go faster, better, stronger, but to slow down and to be kind of thoughtful about some of the practices and habits that we've cultivated over the years. So what are some of those practices, maybe not just you specifically, but even some of the other authors, about some of those practical habits, whether it's about identity formation or emotions, but how are we, how are we going to be able to cultivate wisdom and discernment in a digital age? Mm, that's so good. Um, I think the thing that came up over and over again was that this is a matter of the heart. Um, so you can't white knuckle yourself into using social media well. You can't really white knuckle yourself into anything. It has to be God in you. And so to bring it to the Lord and to pray through this stuff to, if I said to you, you know, you're going to take a social media break for a week to pay attention to the way your heart reacts to that. Like um, my heart, when I said it to it, it was like screaming in rebellion. Like I have to be on social media. And of course I, you know, like what if something happened and I would miss it. And I had all these reasons and, and just to sit with that a minute and and digest those and and examine what idol is is being revealed in my heart right now like you know is this honoring to the lord am i submitting everything even my technology use to him so i think there's just a matter of, you're exactly right of slowing down which you can do in a couple ways one i would just recommend a social media break even if it's a morning or a day or you know an afternoon or, or a week, whatever you could do to get some space and to think about how you would like your social media use to look. Because you can't hit something if you don't aim at it. So if you would think like, how do I want to engage on here? And I, if I pray through that and talk with your spouse or your children or your colleagues or whoever sees your social media use, we are very blind to how much time we spend on there, but your family will know because you know how much time your wife spends on there, right? And she knows how much time you spend on there. Um, and so just to kind of get a, a better picture of, of how you're using it and to pray about that and just say like, Lord, lead me, give me a picture of, of how you want me to be on here. There's a lot of sins that we can get into on social media. And of course, that that's not um, social media's fault. That's our own human heart's fault. And yet to continue walking into a porn store when you're addicted to pornography is foolish. Um, and so to think about those own guardrails that you can know yourself and know what you what would be a good thing for you to aim at and then aim there and try and put some safeguards in place. I had my husband back when I was using it a year or so ago, he would lock me out during the week and then he would let me in on Sundays for a little bit. And that worked for a long time just to help me to slow down and to, cause I couldn't control my own self. So for him to help me was helpful. No, and I think you're exactly right, whether it's our spouse. And I'll say, uh, as a, I think I've said this here on the podcast before, so listeners will be familiar with it, but it would convict, it was really convicting to me probably, it must've been three or so years ago, maybe four years ago, I was doing a lot more writing. I was doing a lot more thinking about technology and it never really hit home until I remember sitting downstairs in our living room and I was on, I was playing with my kids. I have two boys. We have a, a, two sons 
and my oldest at the time, he was no more than about three three years old or so. Uh, we were all playing, and he just like got up and walked to like at that time we didn't have an office. We kind of had like a little um, eating kitchen or whatever. And he walked over there, grabbed my phone, and brought it to me. And he said, "Here you go, Daddy." And I like I like it hit me all of a sudden is he thinks I need this like this is he always sees me with it. So thus, I probably needed it and may have been wondering where it was. And he was just being helpful. I mean, I don't think he was trying to like dig at daddy in any sense, but it was one of those moments of like, oh, man, he's really seeing and he knows how much time I spend on my device, especially around my own family. And so one of the things that we did in our own home specifically with my phone, because I do part of my nature of my job and a lot of the work that I do, I do spend a lot of time on my phone on my device. So we kind of set a a time limit where I'm locked out of my phone, similar to how you said your husband has the keys. My wife has the keys. She does not like me to ask her to override (laughs) things. So not only is there a time limit of a certain amount of time during the day that I can be on these certain social apps, the other side of it is actually have kind of downtime built in so for starting at 8.30 and going till 7 o'clock the next morning, my phone is basically a brick. It can make some phone calls and kind of look at email, but that's basically it. And I did that intentionally. And it's one of those things that I'm realizing that was really helpful, but maybe it needs to go a little bit further. So similar to you is like, hey, we started out doing this. It worked well for a while. And then kind of we made some other changes. I'm starting to think through some of those changes myself because One of the things in this, I want to, we'll kind of start to wrap up the conversation with this, but one of the things that I've noticed in my own life, and I think you probably did as well as someone who's in leadership, who has some level of influence, and I believe godly influence, especially not only in the church, but also in the public square, I've noticed this temptation and kind of this desire, ungodly desire kind of well up in me to build a platform or to have certain, wield certain levels of influence. And maybe there are some good intentions, maybe good desires for that. I want to see the kingdom of God go forward. I want people to think clearly about these really important issues. But in the same sense, I think there's a little bit of building a platform for me. And I've noticed that in my own life. And I think that's kind of common amongst a lot of Christian leaders, whether they're pastors, ministry leaders, those in the public square and business or what have you. So what maybe what are some of the ways that Christians, especially those in leadership, can think about ways to not just cultivate influence online, but to wield and use that influence for good and for godly purposes rather than selfish and kind of building a platform purposes? You know what I would do is build the platform of your church or your organization, or you know, if you're gonna be online or write wise things, can you write there? I can do almost everything through the God, like everything that I publish goes up at the Gospel Coalition. So I don't need to promote myself because they're sort of promoting me, you know, or like I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for my, for the Gospel Coalition so that they can help church leaders. Um, And I think if you were a pastor and you wanted to share wisdom, could you do that through your church's site so that people aren't following you, they're following the church, right? Or they're not following they're following the ERLC or the Southern Baptist Convention or whatever it is that your that your organization is. Could you win followers there? That would maybe be how I would look at that. Um, I do. I read some Cal Newport. I don't know if you ever read him. He wrote Deep Work. 
he doesn't, he was sort of my inspiration because he doesn't, he's, he's massively successful. He doesn't have any social media platforms, but that's just because he does good work. And so if you just do good work, it'll get out there. People will share it. You don't have to share your own good work. If it's good, someone else will share it too. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And obviously there's all these follow-up questions I have about, uh, I think you're probably familiar with a lot of the kind of disposition of many, especially within Christianity about the kind of influence our building institutions and not only recovering past institutions, but also building new institutions as a way to kind of buttress against a lot of the social pressures and social changes that we're experiencing. So we won't go down that rabbit trail. That can be another podcast. Um, But as we do end out our time today, I wanted to kind of check in about some resources. So one of the things we try to do in this podcast um, is resource people. So not just having a podcast, not just having this helpful book that I highly recommend people to go get, Social Sanity in an Insta World that was published um, by the Gospel Coalition just recently. But what are some other resources that you would recommend folks to check out or maybe that have helped or formed and shaped the way you kind of go about and think about these issues? Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, there are other resources that go along with this book. Actually, there is a, we did a, a um, video book club series. Um, so if you go to socialsanitybook.com, um, then there we're, we're releasing those once a week, one a week. So by the time this airs, a whole bunch of them should be out already. So then if you want to get together with friends and think about it and like read through the chapters, there are questions at the end of the chapters. So you can just watch those. Those are, those are when I talk to each, each one, I talk to an author, but we don't talk, we don't just rehash the chapter. We go a little bit deeper and talk about some more things. I would also, I mentioned um, Andy Crouch and Tony Ranke earlier, but they have been, I think, really important voices in this space as well. TechWise Family and then Seven Ways Your Phone is Changing You, I think is Tony's book. So those have been helpful. Risen Motherhood also did a podcast series on this as well, talking about kind of from a young mom perspective, how social media is shaping you ways to use social media in a godly way. And then finally, um, I also did a podcast, a recorded podcast that's coming out in July. And that is, I talked to Gen Z girls. So your social media experience is totally different if you got on when you were a tween or a teen, than if you got on a little bit later and were more formed. Yes. Those girls' experiences are totally different. And so that, and talking with them actually is what made me delete my accounts. Um, and so that is just another fascinating look at this from a little bit of a different angle. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate your work. Um, and we'll make sure for listeners' sake to highlight a lot of those things in the show notes, whether it's the video series or this new podcast or what have you, along with the book and the videos and different resources. And I'll just say, I really appreciate the work you're doing in this space. I think it's really important, especially having a number of women speaking to these issues directly. I think that's really helpful for kind of the broader church. Um, but I really appreciate your work, that the journalistic work that you do, the writing that you do, especially there at the Gospel Coalition. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today here on the Digital Public Square. Jason, I'm so excited for your book on this to come out. So I will be an early reader of that for sure. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Sarah and learn more about this new volume that she edited, as well as the recommended resources we talked about in the show notes. Also, make sure to sign up to receive the weekly tech email briefing that comes out each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the most important ethical issues of our day 
and to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can sign up at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. The Digital Public Square is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is produced and hosted by Jason Thacker. Production assistance is provided by Cameron Hainer and technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.